Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Good morning, good morning. Now, I want to level with you right, right off the bat. I don't care what any video says. I think we all know what the real best service time at Soul City Church is. Am I right? I also want you to know that I definitely didn't say that exact same thing at the 9 a.m. I did not. I did not. But, but truly, truly, whatever time and, and however you have decided to join us, whether you are here in this room or whether you're worshiping with us online, I'm just really glad that you did. I'm just really glad that you are here. It, it is no small thing that we are doing here together. It, it is a beautiful, and not just beautiful, but sacred thing when people gather together to seek God together. That, that's ultimately what we are here to do. Through videos, through, through worship, we're going to look at God's word here in a minute. We are here to seek God together. And, and so I'm really grateful. I'm really glad that you decided to do that with us here this morning. Uh, if we haven't had the chance maybe to meet yet, my name is John. I have the honor and the privilege of being one of the pastors here. Uh, but you know, that is not the only thing that I am. That's just the thing that you all know about me. You all mostly know me as Pastor John. Uh, there he is, a, uh, a, holy, a holy and devout man. Also looks like a nice guy. But of course, like I said, pastor is not the only thing that I am. I also have an incredible family. My wife, Erin, my daughter, Florence, who, by the way, just turned one year old. One year, one year, one year's first birthday, big deal. And you know, what's, what's funny is Florence, she doesn't really know me as Pastor John. She's much more familiar with Dad John, or who she affectionately refers to as Dada. Um, yes, they're, they're, uh, this guy, has no idea what he's doing 95% of the time. Uh, but you know, even, even those two things don't really fully encapsulate all of the person that I am. And, and I actually got to see this play out quite literally and somewhat disturbingly last year because for my 30th birthday, my friends and family thought it would be really fun to all show up to the party dressed as different versions of me. Here they are. Now, many of you don't know me that well, so a lot of these feel very random and are totally out of context, so I apologize. But what you have up here is a smattering of different me's. You have, you know, some runner John up there. I really enjoy running. You have some theater nerd John. I did some theater growing up, so you have different roles that I played throughout the years. You even have some high school John in there which I have to admit was kind of traumatic to come face to face with that guy again. It was sort of rough when I worked through it in therapy. And, and here's the thing, maybe your narcissism doesn't go quite this far, but I'm willing to bet that this is true of you to some extent as well, that, that there are different versions of you. While you are one person, these different versions, they represent different parts or, or different areas or different aspects of your life. Like for you, for example, maybe there's work you. And work you dresses in a certain way. Work you acts in a way that is maybe appropriate for a professional environment most of the time. And then there's Saturday morning sweatpants and Netflix you. Very different wardrobe, very different behavior. 
You know, you probably have family time you, you have dating you, you have fitness you, maybe we haven't seen them in a while, but fitness you exists, they exist. And it's not that you are a completely different person in all of those areas, right? These are just different parts that make you, you. These are the things that make your life, your life. But, but the question that I really want us to ask this morning is when you think about all those different parts of your life, like when you take a minute and really picture all the different areas that encapsulate your life, which parts do you give to God? Or more pointedly, what parts of you do you allow God access to? What parts or areas of your life do you actually invite God to inform how you live? Over the course of the last several weeks, if you've been here, we've been in this teaching series that Jeannie talked about that we're calling The Gospel According to Me. And the idea of that title is simply this. We all have a gospel. Meaning we all carry with us an idea of who God is and what God is all about. And what we've been discussing in this series is how some of the gospel narratives that we carry, some of the gospel narratives that we inherited growing up, whether they're from our family, from a church community, or even from our culture, some of those gospels that we hold actually don't align with who God really is or what God is really about. And so what we've been trying to do in this series is we've been seeking to kind of peel back some of those false versions of the gospel, and we've been seeking to replace them with the true and beautiful and transformative and life-giving good news of Jesus. It's beautiful work that we've been doing, and and I hope we can continue that today. But each week, we've been starting with one of those false or distorted or maybe even misunderstood versions of the gospel. So the false gospel that I want us to wrestle with today is this. God wants to be a part of your life. Now, before you jump down my throat, let me say, this is a really tricky one because depending on how you say this phrase, it can take on different meanings. Like you could say it like this, God wants to be a part of your life. And when you say it like that, you get this picture of a God who is highly relational. You get this picture of a God who wants to be involved in you and I's story. And that is absolutely true. That is actually foundational to who God is. The relational aspect of God is foundational to the gospel, that there is a God who wants to do life, who wants to partner with, there's a God who wants to walk alongside of you in every season of your life. That is true. But you could also say this phrase like this. God wants to be a part of your life. Like God only wants a little involvement. And the funny thing about that is I actually don't think many of us would say it like that. Like I actually don't think that many of us believe that God only wants to be an acquaintance or God only wants a cameo in our story. And while many of us might not say it like that, if you actually look at our lives, I do think that is how many of us relate to God. There's an organization called the Barna Group, 
And they did a recent study that was fascinating where they compared behaviors between self-identified Christians and self-identified non-Christians in all these different areas of life. And what this study showed is while there was a significant difference in behaviors around things like church attendance and prayer and engagement in the Bible, all the things that you would expect, this survey, it also showed that in situations and in places like economics and finance, in political conviction and influence, entertainment choices, in social and dating life, in these areas, there was no discernible difference between the behaviors of Christians and non-Christians. In other words, for the majority of Christians, their faith made no discernible difference. Their faith actually had no influence in how they engaged in the majority of activities outside of the churchy stuff, outside of the Christian stuff, outside of the Sunday morning stuff. Faith didn't make a difference. So what does this tell us? Well, it tells me that many in the church have separated or limited God to only one area of our lives. Or, or that we've kind of pie charted our lives out in a certain way and we only allow God one piece or we only allow God certain pieces. And maybe this is something that's actually frustrated you about Christians. Maybe this is something you have seen and you've experienced. You've seen and experienced Christians acting and talking and treating people a certain way on Sunday morning during church only to act and treat people a very different way once the service is over only to act and treat people a very different way once they get online. And believe me, while that is frustrating, and while that is outright hurtful, I also wonder how many of us sometimes do a slightly similar thing. Like, I wonder if we got really honest, how many of us have a faith that actually says, God, you can have my Sunday morning, but you can't have my nine to five. Like, what I do for work the, how I treat people at the office, the, the person that I am during business hours, God's not really interested in that. It's not really part of that part of life. I wonder how many of us, our faith actually says, God, you can have my Sunday morning, but I'm gonna keep my Saturday night. Like, when it comes to my social life, I wanna live how I wanna live. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. When it comes to my dating life, I'm gonna go out with who I wanna go out with. I'm gonna sleep with who I wanna sleep with. We don't really invite God into those conversations and into those decisions. How many of us, when you look at our lives, it says, God, you can have my Sunday morning, you can have my worship when the music is playing, but not during the giving slot. You can't have my finances, God. God, you can have a relationship with me, but you can't have my relationship with my mom. That's too broken, that's too messed up. God, I'm going to pray about my big dreams, but I don't really pray day to day. I don't really pray for the mundane. And I want you to hear me. I, I am definitely not trying to shame anyone here. Listen, the only reason I can come up with examples like those is because I have lived examples like those, okay? But I do think the truth is, while many of us probably wouldn't say that God only wants to be a part of our lives, I wonder if a part is sometimes all we're willing to give to God. And the question that I wanna simply and lovingly ask is if we're only willing to give God a part, 
then could we possibly be missing the whole thing? And so today, what I want to look at is a passage of Scripture that I believe communicates not only God's true desire for our lives holistically, but it actually gives us a picture of what God longs to do throughout all of creation. We're going wide here. Are we ready? All right, great. I'm going to need you to grab a Bible so you can reach under the seat in front of you. There is a Soul City Bible there, and you can turn it to Ephesians chapter 1 if you're worshiping with us online. Go ahead, grab your own Bible, open up a tab to Ephesians chapter 1. While you are turning there, uh, I am going to give you a little bit of context. I want to set the stage a little bit for what is happening in this part of the Bible that we are looking at. So the book of Ephesians is not really a book at all. It's actually a letter. This was a correspondence written by one of the early church leaders, a guy named Paul, to one of the early Christian churches. This was a community of Jesus followers living in the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was this huge city in the ancient world. It was filled with culture and business and arts and diversity of all kinds. It was not unlike Chicago in that way. It's just they had less potholes than we do. That was it. That's the only real difference. But, but you can imagine living in such a vibrant, such a multifaceted city like that. These Ephesian Christians, they would have a ton of different interests in their lives. They would have a lot of different things that they were involved in outside of their weekly or for them daily worship gatherings. Just like you and I, they had a lot of different parts to their lives. And Paul, he begins this letter by explaining the gospel to them, by spelling out God's deepest desire, both for these Ephesian Christians and by proxy God's deepest desire for you and I today. So let's dive in. We're going to dive in in verse 7. It says this, verse 7. In him, Paul's talking about Jesus here. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us. So, so Paul is wrapping up talking about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and what that purchased for you and I. That through Jesus' sacrifice and death on the cross, God has given us forgiveness of sins. God has given us grace. And he hasn't just given it to us, he's lavished his grace on us. And now Paul goes on to talk about the implications of this. It says this, with all wisdom and understanding, he, talking about God now, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. His will, which was purposed in Christ, his will, which was to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment. His will, which is this, to bring unity to what? All things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now, those are two very long sentences. So let's sum that up real quick so we're all on the same page. This writer, Paul, he is proposing that God's main goal, God's deepest desire, the thing that gives God the greatest amount of pleasure is to, look at verse 10 again, to bring unity to all things on heaven and on earth under Christ. 
Now, this letter, it was originally not written in the English language. This part of the Bible was originally written in the Greek language. And sometimes it can be really, really helpful to examine parts of the original language to get a little more zest and a little more flavor out of the text that sometimes gets lost or kind of fades away in translation. So do you mind if we do a little bit of Greek today? Yeah, I promise. I think it's really, really worth it. I think it's going to be good. So the Greek word that is translated to bring unity in verse 10 is the Greek word anakafe lustestai. That is a real word. It is worth approximately 2.2 billion points in Scrabble. You are welcome. (laughs) But this word, it is as flexible as it is long, meaning that this word can actually be translated into English in a whole bunch of different ways. Here, it is translated as to bring unity. But you can also translate this word as to gather up. This word can also be translated as to reconcile or to bring back together. In other words, what Paul is is saying here is that our world is broken. Sin has infected and fractured our world. Our world is messed up in so many different ways, and God's greatest and deepest desire is to anakaphelus this thigh, to bring unity. And what, do you ask, does God desire to bring unity to? Again, look at verse 10. It says to bring unity to what? All things. Now, the Greek word for all things is much, much shorter. It is the Greek word pas. Everybody say pas. pas. Yeah, I didn't want to make you say anakafe loose this thigh because I practiced it for at least six days before saying it to you, so it wouldn't have been fair. But this word pas is translated here as all things. Do you know what the literal translation of pas is? All things. When this word is used elsewhere in scripture, do you know what it means? Still all things. That's it. That's the only thing that this Greek word means. So I'm no genius, but I just have to assume then that in verse 10, when it says all things, Paul just means all things. And I don't know about you, but to me, all things means there are no exceptions. To me, All things means there are no exclusions. There are no reservations. All things means there is no limit. There is no limitation to what God wants to unite, to what God wants to reconcile, to what God wants to bring back together and redeem and renew through Christ. All things actually means all things. So what does this mean for you and me here, sitting here today? What it means for our lives is that All things are gospel things. What it means is that every part of you is a part that God wants to be a part of. What it means is that every area of your life is an arena in which God wants you to experience the work of transformation. It means that there is no Christian part. There is no spiritual part, and then there's all the other parts that God doesn't really care about. But every part of our world where there is brokenness, that is a part that God wants to reconcile. Every part of your story that feels old and dead and like it could never have new life again, that is actually a part that God wants to renew. All things actually means all things. God wants to take all things within you, but also all things within your family. 
God wants to take all things within your family, but also all things within this church, all things within this city, all things within all of creation. God wants to bring all things back together again. That is the gospel. That is the work that God is up to in the world. And that is why one of our values here as a church from the very beginning is the value seven is greater than one. What seven is greater than one means is that we believe that a transformational relationship with Jesus, it doesn't just happen once a week on Sunday morning right here. But we believe that transformation also happens on Monday morning when you log in for work or when you're going into your first meeting. Transformation also happens at your Wednesday night kickball league. It also happens in your late night Uber on Friday night when you're going to the next place with your friends. It also happens on Saturday afternoon when you're at the longest family brunch you've ever been at and you can't wait to get the bill because you really want to go home. It means seven is greater than one that all days are gospel days. All places are gospel places. There is not a piece, there's not a part of your life, there's not a relationship in your life, there's not an area of your past or your future that God doesn't want you to experience the transforming work and power and redemption and renewal of Jesus. All things are gospel things. So wait, John, does that include my dating life? Yes. All things means all things. Does that include the anger that I feel at my dad? Yeah. All things. Does that include my brother's mental health? Or my struggle with my body image? Yeah. All things. Does that include the societal evils that break my heart, that continue to persist, that continue to be perpetuated against my people, my family? Racism, sexism, gun violence, corruption, all things. All things, all things, all things. Can I tell you what I did this week? Like, can I just tell you the things I did? Would that be okay? So my week, uh, it got started off with a bang. I woke up on Monday morning and I checked myself in, well, actually, my wife Erin checked me in to the emergency room uh, because I had this severe, severe lower abdominal pain that I I could barely make my way to the car. And so on Monday, Aaron and I, we spent seven hours in the emergency room. I got all kinds of tests done. And eventually the results came back that it was thankfully nothing serious. I just had some inflammation in my intestine that was causing extreme gut pain, likely due to stress, maybe some kind of virus, something like that. And so they gave me some medication to kind of work that out and they sent me home. Then I spent the rest of the day, Monday and Tuesday, laying in bed, watching documentaries and sleeping. That's all I did. (laughs) And eventually Wednesday, I made my way back here to to work uh, at the church. Uh, and I caught up on the pile of emails that I had because I missed two days of work, heaven forbid. I get to lead our creative team, so I led some meetings that day. And then I had a call with a, a member of our church, someone who attends our church, who is just really struggling right now. They're struggling with a significant season of doubt where they're honestly just not really sure what they believe anymore. So we sat on the phone for a while and talked together. 
On Friday, my family and I, we packed up our car and we drove six hours up to Minnesota to celebrate my grandfather's 100th birthday, which is today. Yes, 100. Then yesterday, we piled everything back in the car and drove six hours back down through a bunch of thunderstorms. We had a friend over last night. We ate chicken fried rice. I went to bed early and then I got up, drove here, and now I'm talking to you. So why do I tell you those details? Why do I tell you some of the major points of my week, some of the minor points of my week? Because I want you to know that all of those parts that I just told you about, every single part from the emergency room to the chicken fried rice, all of those parts were the spiritual part of my week. Every single one of them was a part, was a moment, was a situation where God was present God was active, God was working. The power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, it was available trying to move in and through me. Now, was I aware of it? Was I attentive to it in every single moment? Absolutely I was, I'm a pastor. (laughs) No! Sure, there were some moments that felt, oh yes, absolutely, I thought to myself, yes, this is a gospel thing. This is so clearly a gospel moment. And then there were other times where honestly my attention just kind of drifted. There were legitimate moments where I did the pie piece thing and I kind of made an active choice to kind of keep God out of this one and, and go my own way with it. There were times I did that purposefully. There were times I did that without even realizing it. But I'm not teaching this message because I do this perfectly. I'm teaching this message because I believe to my core that the Christian life is one where the goodness and power and presence of the gospel can be made known and can work in and through your life in every single moment, in every single situation, in every single part inside and outside of you, All things means all things. There is no thing that doesn't make the list of all things that God wants to transform in your life. That's the work of the gospel. That's who God is. Our God is the God of all things. And that is ultimately why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come for religious things and for religious people. Jesus came for all things and for all people. And that's ultimately why Jesus went to the cross. On the cross, Jesus gave everything for you so that you could bring everything to God. So that you could bring all things to the God who can actually renew, who can actually redeem, who can actually restore, who can actually transform all things in your life. And so I just wonder if today there is a part of your life, there is a part of your story, if there is a part of your seven, your day-to-day, that if you're honest with yourself, you've kind of been keeping God at arm's length for a little while. And maybe you've been doing that consciously because you're not actually sure if this is something that God can be trusted with. You're not actually sure what God might think of you if you let him in, what God might say if you were to let him into that. Or maybe you did it completely unconsciously because you never actually thought that this is a part of your life that God would really care about. He does. 
And I just wonder if today that you might be willing to take a step of faith, a brave and courageous step of faith to just open your hands and release that thing to God. To say, God, I believe this is not the one thing that was left off the list of all things. But this is something you have good news for. This is a relationship you have good news for. This is a place where I want your power to be experienced. And then the next time you find yourself in that place or in that situation or in that mindset, I wonder if you could just maybe borrow that prayer. Hey, this is a gospel thing. Hey, this is a gospel place. This is something, this is somebody that God has good news for. And what might it look like for me to show up in that place to not only experience the good news of the gospel, but what might it look like for me to actually express and showcase and share the good news of the gospel in that place too? And so in just a minute, we're actually going to sing an old hymn together that I just love. And as we sing it, I, I wonder if you might be willing to make the really simple lyrics of this song, I wonder if you could just make them your prayer. I surrender all. And I would love it if you are able, if you're in this room and you're able, would you stand to your feet, actually? And before we move towards the song... I would love to take a moment and I would love to invite anyone who has not said yes to Jesus. You know, we've been talking about, you know, certain aspects or certain areas of our life that we kind of, you know, hold God away from or keep God out of. And I, and I bring to mind that verse in Revelation that Jeannie talked about a little earlier, where, where, where it says, I stand at the door and knock. And maybe in your life, it's felt like that for years, that God's just kind of been on the other side of the door, just kind of knocking. And you, you haven't really opened the door. Maybe in some seasons, you, you kind of thought about it or you, you opened the door and maybe had a conversation, but you kept him on the front porch. I just wonder if over the course of our time together, God has started knocking again. And you know it in your mind and heart, if it's true, that God has just started knocking, saying, hey, I'm still here. I'm not going to demand that you let me in. But I'm here the minute you want to say yes. And I wonder if today you might just be willing to open that door wide and just invite Jesus in. And all you got to do to do that is simply say yes. And so right now, I want to invite, as we, as we pray and as we move towards this song, I want to invite anyone who has not said yes to Jesus anyone who has not surrendered, not just a part of our lives, but who has not surrendered all. If you're ready to do that today, God is knocking on the door of your life. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, you can just pray a simple prayer along with me. And so if you would, Julian started us with this posture. I can't think of a better place to end than with this posture of surrender, opening our hands to God in a posture of release, in a posture of surrender, not because we're weak, but because God is strong. And if you're here today and God is knocking on the door of your life and you are ready to say yes to Jesus, you can just pray this simple prayer. You can repeat it after me. You simply just say, Jesus, I say yes to you. 
I confess the times and seasons where I've turned away from you. Jesus, I surrender all to you. I believe that you are the God of all things. I surrender all to you now. I say yes to you. And God, we thank you that you are not a God who is content with being separate or being apart or having a little cameo in our story. But you are a God who wants to be a part of every single facet of our existence, not because you want to control it in a domineering way, but because you truly want to bring your good news. You want to bring your light and your love and your grace and your reconciliation and your redemption and your beauty. You want to bring that into every single part of us. And so, God, we say we surrender all of who we are to you so that we can receive all of who you are in every part of us. We surrender to you, Jesus. Amen.